Sorokin, White Whale, Ilya, you know, testing, testing, is this thing on? And sat him down and said, Kenny, let me explain this. You are a drummer. It's summer and we're waiting for hockey. How crazy is that? Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 36. I am your host, Andrew Gross. Please seek me out on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And uh, thank you for checking back in. I hope everyone has gotten through another week safe and healthy as we wait for hockey to come back as we... uh, inch towards that it's now uh you know later in june uh i'm recording this i believe it's on june 23rd uh it's summer and we're waiting for hockey how crazy is that just kind of uh tells you where we are uh in the sports world and in the world and uh excited for this episode uh i I taped a spot with nbc's hall of fame fine 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 television voice michael doc emmerich and uh uh, we'll get to that quickly. I want to, you know, we, Doc and I chatted for about a half hour, so I want you guys to be able to get through that. First off, uh, like I said, I hope everyone is healthy and uh, doing well. Thank you for checking back and uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate everyone who uh, tunes in. Uh, let me just set the scene for you here. Uh, as I said, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's late June. And we're talking about trying to get hockey back, and uh, I've never done this before. You know, usually uh, I'm in a, you know, well, when we started the podcast, I'd be in the Newsday studio, or, you know, I've recorded a podcast. Uh, I think I did one in my car once. Uh, I've done them in hotel rooms. I am sitting outside on an absolutely beautiful day. I'm on my back porch. Got a glass of ice water here. Uh, you may hear some, uh, you know, some landscaping going on in the background, and it, it just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a, a just a tiny fawn, a white-spotted fawn walking through the uh, uh, the woodsy area behind my back deck, and it, it's just amazing to me. I, I never thought I'd be sitting here on a beautiful day in the middle of summer recording a hockey podcast. I, I really didn't. And, uh, you know, I apologize to all of those, all of you who might be stuck in the city and, and don't get a chance to uh, enjoy the day as much as you can. I know things are opening up in New York City and uh, slowly life is, you know, turning around here a little bit. But uh, so where, where are we? Um, as we see teams coming back and uh, uh, today, you know, they allowed, the NHL allowed the phase two reopening, uh, the small groups workouts to expand from six to 12 players at a time. Uh, coaches are now allowed back on the ice with the players. Uh, they're still in formal voluntary skates practices, but coaches are now supervising and maybe setting up, uh, drills and practices as things get geared up. Uh, phase three, the formal training camp is going to be July 10th and you know we're hearing that the plan is for games to start right around July 30th or so um, in one of two hub cities that will be selected and you know and the Islanders of course are going to play the Florida Panthers in a best of five qualifying series to get into the NHL's 
16-team playoffs. So you can look at it as a 24-team tournament, a 16-team playoffs. However you look at it, the Islanders do have games on their schedule upcoming. So, you know, all that seems positive. And, and you want to be positive and you, and you want to believe that hockey is around the corner here. And then, you know, over the weekend, the Tampa Bay Lightning had to shut down their practice facility um, what was it, three players tested positive, more, uh, more staffers test positive. And I, I had a buddy of mine um, who was actually had to go to down to Tampa over this weekend. He was there, I think, uh, like Wednesday through Sunday or something. Um, he had to go down and get his uh, elderly father and bring him back to New York. Um, and my buddy was saying it's crazy down there compared to what we're used to here in that no one's wearing masks down there. Everyone's on top of each other. Everything is, is open. It's like life is going on down there. And, and you see the, 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 the cases spiking in Florida. You see the cases spiking in Arizona. Um, you know, Austin Matthews uh, reportedly testing positive. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays and the, uh, and the Philadelphia Phillies having COVID-19 problems. Major League Baseball shutting down all the spring training sites there in Florida. Um, you know, so for all, it, it seems like you take one step forward, one step back. Uh, news today, Novak Djokovic, uh, number one tennis player, test positive for COVID. So you know, there's still all these warning signs out there. Um, we had Scott Mayfield on a Zoom teleconference, uh, the Islanders media, uh, the other day. And, you know, he, he said he's hopeful and confident. He, he still thinks they're going to play, but he understands why some players are, are, are becoming maybe a little bit hesitant right now. Because you, you just have to step back and take a look at what's going around in the country and in North America, and COVID-19 certainly is not going away. If anything, it seems like, you know, it's resettled. Um, you know, uh, cases are down. New York State seems to be doing very well in terms of containing it, but certainly it is spread elsewhere, uh, places that had low cases before, now becoming more of hotspots. So, uh, coronavirus is not going away, and, and I still think it's going to be very difficult. Hub City, in a bubble or not, um, really getting this off the ground. And I'm really happy that the NHL has this plan, and they're trying, um, and, and they're pointing that way, and that the players, if nothing else, are getting back on the ice and getting some skating in. But, uh, you know, I, I still think we're a long way from here to there in terms of actually seeing hockey games again. And, you know, in real time, you're talking about, you know, I think five or six weeks until they want to get the first games going. And, uh, you know, with COVID-19, five, six weeks could be a whole new world in five, six weeks. You just really can't predict what's going on. So not trying to be a downer here, you know, as hopeful as you want to be, you almost have to take everything with a grain of salt and just see what happens here. Um, because I don't think anybody really knows. And again, I think the NHL and then the NHLPA have done a marvelous job of, of planning this out and coming up with a plan. And, and bonus, you know, the reports are, it looks like while they were, you know, cooperating on a return-to-play format, seems like they've gotten a long way towards 
working on a new collective bargaining agreement and, you know, hint, hint, Major League Baseball uh, avoiding any kind of work stoppage in the in the foreseeable future. I saw one report that uh, it might be, you know, in, in essence, a six-year uh, extension on a CBA, uh, which would, you know, guarantee for the NHL under Gary Bettman, that's a, a relatively long period of labor peace, if that's what it turns out to be. And uh, certainly hope it does, because I, I, I think in this altered economic world, it behooves both sides to, to get a deal and to just have some certainty here and, uh, you know, not tick off the fans. And, you know, still remains to be seen what the impact on Major League Baseball will be, uh, even if they get these 60-whatever games they're going to get in. Um, I, I, I think MLB has done a real disservice to itself. And you know what? Uh, survival of the fittest, that could be to the NHL's benefit. Because if uh, fans are turning away from baseball, maybe they turn to hockey. Especially hockey in the summer, <laughs> as we, we hope we're going to get. Anyway, that's where we are. And like I said, I wanted to get to this interview with Mike Doc Emmerich, uh, who I've known, you know, anyone who's involved with hockey uh, knows Doc. Just uh, uh, an incredibly friendly person. Uh, you know, real good friend to you, and uh, he, he was nice enough to give me a lot of time on the phone, and um, so here's, here's Doc Emmerich and his views on hockey and his, uh, his views on his uh, upcoming book, Puck Doctor, and other views. Happy to be joined by NBC's lead hockey voice and author and former Devils play-by-play voice and uh, one of the, the true stars in the hockey world, um, Doc Emmerich. Doc, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I hope all's well, and uh, how are you? All is well so far, Andrew. We're just uh, uh, very much as you are, although you're working more actively than I. Um, I'm quasi-analog, so that means I have 24 sheets of cardboard out here drawing lines uh, on which rosters can be filled, and uh, preparing for 24 teams, uh, hoping that perhaps it will be safe enough for 24 teams to play, but uh, trusting other people to determine that, and then uh, we'll just we'll uh, get excited about a play-in. But that is down the road quite a ways, and uh, we don't really have any plans made yet. Uh, in terms of how the telecasts are going to go or anything quite like that. So uh, these are things I can do as you cover day-to-day, unlike myself, what's going on. But the tournament uh, itself, uh, looking ahead, you can get excited about this because any blemishes that teams have or any strengths that they had going into the pause can be wiped away as almost like a new season. Yeah, no, it's... uh certainly unique and uh what what have you what what are your impressions uh, as to how the the league and the nhl players association have tried to adapt and uh and the return to play plan that they've come up with how optimistic are you that this will come to fruition and and do you think this is the, the the fairest plan possible for all parties involved well, we knew one thing, didn't we, Andrew, that not everybody would be happy with it. Whenever Whatever was devised, um, not everybody would like, 
And I think probably the people that are ticked off the most would be the fans of the Buffalo Sabres because if, and you probably know this, if the pause hadn't been hit until the 13th and they would have been able to play Montreal on the evening of the 12th and one in regulation, they would have been 24th. Right. And Montreal would have been 25th. And so it's it's never fair to everybody, but 24 is a lot of teams. And so you're going to have a lot of individual players. Uh, uh, you, t- you multiply 12 times a traveling party of 50 into two cities. Uh, so minimum 600. Uh, boy, check me on my math because I'm terrible at math. That, that's a <laughs> lot of people that are going to be congregated in, in one city and in another city uh, in the uh, for the other side of the uh, continent. And the fact that games are going to be played rapid-fire fashion is going to be exciting. And the concept, if it catches on with fans, the Board of Governors of the NHL uh, are not fools. Uh, they realize that if this is something that the fans really take to, uh, that it certainly can be if fans are allowed in arenas uh, in the uh, future, that it can be um, a heavy income generator for the time ahead. Right now, it's it's a principle of, of getting 24 teams in, but it can also be a moneymaker in the future, especially if the fans like it, because um, that's who pays the price of admission. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think I read somewhere, you know, if the Devils had won their last game, they might have snuck into the 24 as well. So, you know, Gary always counts, you know, the the parity and and the competition in the league. Uh, One thing I really like, and this kind of harkens back to, uh, you know, more of the Devils' heyday is is the fact that they're going to reseed once they get into the, 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 the 16 teams, and they'll, they'll reseed uh, round by round. Are, are you a proponent of that as well? Yeah, I, I, yeah I do. I like it. Just I, I like it for a change and also for a throwback to earlier times. I'm not so much a traditionalist that I can't adapt to new things. I think you have, you have 40 years in the NHL, you, you learn to adapt, and you realize that that not everything is going to be the same year after year. But I think given the circumstances that that we have lived through so far, that uh, why not go back to this and let's see if this becomes a yearly thing after this. Uh, there could be uh, some precedent set just by this 2014 play-in that we might have play-in positions, maybe not that many, but we might have play-in positions in future years, and we might go back to reseeding as we have done before. Let's just see, but let's hope that it's healthy enough that we can get everybody to that point where we can where we can determine that. Uh, I think that the thing too that is very easy for those of us that don't sweat much yeah. is to realize that they're going to go at least four and a half months between games and at least four months from their last game to training camp. And unlike, you know, I've, I've been reading what some of the guys have, have been doing to try and stay in shape, and not everybody is like Cam Atkinson that has his own rink in Columbus. Um, you know, some guys are doing treadmills and they're doing weightlifting, but unlike the other sports where it's just running, 
uh, the skating muscles that you need are far different. And in their lives, and you've probably documented this several times, Andrew, in their lives, these guys have never had this much downtime no. uh, yeah. without skating and without using those muscles. So that, that time that they are either participating in, in phase two skating now or uh, are going to be going through the phase three camps are going to be very critical, and uh, the trainers are going to be very important to these teams. Absolutely. And, and uh, my last chat with Barry Trotz, he was making the point that uh, once the formal training camps start, you know, he's going to be able to tell right away the level of, you know, training and fitness that all his players have. He, he might have to group them together so as not to injure, you know, some of the players who are at different levels. But at the same time, you know, he, he knows some players may get left behind here if they're not, you know, up to the level of training that some other players are, just because, you know, the Islanders are going into a best-of-five qualifying series, and Barry doesn't have time uh, for other players to, you know, for some players maybe to, to get ready. So I, I, I think that will all be interesting let me ask you since this is an islanders podcast your your thoughts on an islanders panthers series and you know one thing that comes immediately to me is just you know the historical you know significance of having barry Trotz pitted against joel quenville in a playoff series <laughs> yeah that's part of it you can't have much more wisdom combined inside one building can you no more uh, success and wisdom uh behind two benches and the good thing for florida is that what i was saying before their whole season got thrown out and bobrovsky's 29th and goals yielded got thrown out uh he was subpar this year and and the panthers are probably very happy that their three losses to the islanders uh, no longer figure into the scheme of things here, but there is great wisdom and in, in in both of those coaches and in how they're going to gear up their teams. And uh, I saw a quote of Barry's just last week that the number twelve seed can win the Stanley Cup. This is a blasted wide open tournament, which does, from the standpoint of those of us who don't sweat much, make it exciting. Uh, but it makes it pressure packed for those who wear the gear and go out there and play. Uh, it will be pressure-packed, and it will be, I would think, intense. But we all have to be, in my mind, understanding of those first couple of games because of physical conditioning, even though there won't be time to be for the players to be understanding with each other. There probably will need to be time for those of us who are observing it to be understanding of not everybody, as you observed, will be exactly at the same level. And I agree, and I agree with Barry that any one of these 24 teams, you know, could, could potentially wind up on a long run. But do you see any teams better suited to this kind of restart and, and format than maybe other teams? No. No? I don't. Let's, let's look at uh, – here's one for you. Let's look at Chicago, number 12, Edmonton, number 5. Here's the most worthless uh, stat, because I, I prize myself on having a grasp of the obvious. Uh, Chicago won two of three during the course of the year. I don't know if that gives them any leg up at all. But no. 
Uh, Kane and McDavid have never faced one another in a playoff series, so that'll be fun. You have Mike Smith, who was tremendous for Calgary and holding them in against Colorado last spring in the playoffs, wearing an Edmonton uniform now. You have Corey Crawford. Uh, you have a very arrested Duncan Keith. You have uh, you have Jonathan Taves, and you have the two top scoring forwards in the league in the regular uh, season up to the time that we hit pause. It is a magnificent thing, but uh, how many potential games can they have? Not seven. Yeah, best of five. Something can happen. Things can get stolen. Now realize that. There's not going to be a home a home team city uh, for the game. So as a result, uh, you're not going to have uh, home ice advantage, but you will have the chance for the higher seed to have the last change for the first two games. But if there's a sting in the first game for Chicago, then all of a sudden all they got to do is win a couple more and they've pulled off what by seed standards would be an upset. But isn't it interesting that no, I I think if you if you had numbered balls in a shoebox and you had the team logos of all 24, and you rolled them up and there was a, and you shook it up with the the top put on the shoebox and there was room for only one ball to fall out, that'd be about the way that I'd pick a champion. <laughs> Which is probably really frustrating to teams like the Bruins and the Blues, who you know. If this had proceeded, you know, as we expected, it would have, you know, just, you know, three, four months ago would have both been considered, I would think, if not heavy favorites, then very strong favorites to possibly meet again. Yeah, and I I can understand, I I know what the league was going for in trying to reward them for what they'd done all season, they and the other three in, in each conference by giving them a chance to play round robin just for the purposes of seeding and protecting them from the from from being eliminated uh in in this play in round i i certainly understand that but it does take a little of the edge off the three games that they will be playing against each other just because there's not that desperation element there is the there is the want of being a higher seed but again you're uh, you're likely not dealing with a home ice advantage right away right let me speaking of not having a home ice. Uh, I, I was talking to your partner Eddie Oldchuck uh, more about horse racing. Um, yeah, recently. that's the way it usually goes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, did he, he help you with it. the Belmont? Did he give you oh, any tips on the Belmont? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he's fantastic. I always enjoy chatting with Eddie. But yeah, um, you know, not? he was telling me for the Belmont. You know, he is. He's going to do his handicapping from his home in Chicago. He won't be on site. And, you know, you started at the beginning, you know, there are no definitive plans yet. You don't know how these broadcasts are going to go. But, you know, how, you know, do you you suspect you might make it into a hub city? Do you hope you're going to make it into a hub city? Or or do you feel like you might just be in the studios? Have no idea. Uh... I guess uh, mentally I'm prepared for either one. It doesn't take much preparation to go into a hub city and work in a press box. Right. Or, or I suppose if I were in a hub city, I would probably ask to be down a little lower than the, than what most press boxes are because, Andrew, you know that yeah. uh, they put us as far back and as far away as possible. So I would probably ask to be down 
uh, on the concourse level where the cameras are so I could see better and identify players better and pick off that four-inch sleeve number. Yeah. That is a little easier to do from from uh, 20 yards than it is from 75 yards. Yeah. Uh, but if it has to be off uh, off a monitor uh, some way, uh, we can do that too. Uh, a few years ago, I wish I knew the year. I probably should trace this down in case I'm asked again. Pierre and I did a, an early season game from uh, Stanford. Uh, we had a, a table uh, placed in front of us because they, these games weren't common. I imagine it's going to be far different for studio games if we wind up doing them. But we had a table and a monitor in front of us. It was a game from Stockholm. It involved the Kings, and I can't remember who the other team was, but it was one of those introductory early yeah. season games that the NHL had. And so we did it off the monitor, and since that time, picture quality has improved, the size of monitors and all of that has improved. Uh, I did a couple of games at Yankee Stadium, uh, Rangers, Devils, Rangers, Islanders, and yep. because we were so far away, I had to call the game mostly off the monitor. It was not as simple to do as with the naked eye because I've spent most of my 47 years using the naked eye, but there are times that you need to do it that way, and our coverage is pretty good. Yeah. And it enables you to actually do it that way without too much difficulty. So um, it's just a matter of adjustment. Whatever they say, that's what I'll do. Well, I, I, and I, I have a million questions just off that last sentence. One I, I was at those games at Yankee Stadium, too, and I'm sure there was a, a, a sheet of frost on your monitor. It was so cold there. but um... <laughs> It was, and they had some snow the one game, which, is, which brought a cheer from the crowd. Do you remember that? Yes. When yeah. the snow started falling, everybody, that was the biggest cheer of the day until goals were scored. Yeah, well, trying to keep warm. but <laughs> Yeah. Um, now, when they do restart, they're, you know, they're, they're – the notion is they're probably going to have three or four games in a row. I mean, are you anticipating broadcasting, you know, multiple games in a day? No, I, I don't think so. And and I only base that on past experience. Yeah. There are a lot of people on our crews and, and also in the, um, in the, in the first round, um, uh, I guess we call it the first round or in the playing round, the local affiliates, Still right. have the right to broadcast too, so there will be a lot of crews involved in doing telecasts. Uh, I'm not sure of how all of that breaks down in terms of their occupancy of the building or their working in studios. I don't know how that works, but uh, no. Based on the Olympics, uh, I normally do only one game a day, and right. I would imagine that that would be the case. Normally, in our playoff setting, um, everybody is assigned to a series. And so you would do more than do no more than one game every other day. Whether uh -huh. that will change, I don't know. As I said, we're, we're probably at the at the most, or at the at the least, six weeks away from having a first telecast. So a lot of those questions will be answered down the road. Uh, right now, I haven't the faintest idea. Just just one more on the on the production because I, I want to talk to you about this book you got coming out, but. Um, Two things. Gary Bettman basically said there's only going to be, you know, one set of cameras in there. You know, so in the past, 
you know, you, you, you would have each team's camera crew in there and then, you know, national crew and potentially, you know, also a, a crew from Canada. And now there's just going to be one feed for any broadcast. And also, I'm assuming there's not going to be a reporter between the glass, whether, you know, Brian Boucher, Pierre, who, whoever you would have. And I'm just curious how those two elements might change uh, what we see at home. I have no idea. I yeah. don't know of any plans that have been made yet for that. Uh, okay. We'll adjust, I'm sure we'll adjust accordingly. And I would imagine that uh, should we get to that point where NHL teams are playing, our telecast is going to be pretty unique too. But the uh, the breakdown on how all of that's going to happen is still probably weeks away to my knowledge. So listen, I'm so looking forward to this book, uh, Puck Doctor, and it's written in conjunction with Kevin Allen, who's had a, a fantastic career in his own right as, as a hockey journalist. Uh, tell me a little bit about this book, how it came about, and, and you know, just what you're trying to impart uh, uh, through the writing. Well, it was supposed to, the, the idea came uh, probably 10 years ago, and the, the writing started in the summers eight years ago, and it was going nowhere. I was compiling a lot of, uh, it's, it's to be autobiographical, but hopefully, uh, far more entertaining than my life has been because it's the idea is to weave in stories from hockey and a little bit from football, a little bit from baseball, because I did have some limited experience with those sports too, but mostly about hockey. And, uh, and, and so anyway, it was in the, you were probably there. It was the 2017 Stanley cup final between Pittsburgh and Nashville. It was in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. There had been another one of those, morning press conferences both coaches spoke and we were all getting up from our chairs at the mass press conference and kevin was there and i said because i knew he'd done about 10 to 15 books and i said i got a question i don't know how busy you're going to be in the summer or what all because i he was still working for usa today and i said mm -hmm. i've had a headache going on for the last six years trying to get a book organized i can't get organized i can't even put it in any kind of form that i could ever submit to a publisher and he said i can help you with that and yeah. so we started sitting down doing interviews so the, the bottom line is march 31st was our deadline and when the league hit pause uh i had some time he did the heavy lifting you know that uh i had some time to at least meet the deadline and then of course on the 2nd of april they said uh we need a rewrite on chapters one and two yeah and, uh, <laughs> so that got repaired but it's it's about my my first experience watching hockey my time in the minors uh uh it won't be a flyers book even though i had 11 years in the organization it won't be a devil's book even though i had 21 years following them it'll be a book about uh, a lot of things that have gone on in hockey and my experiences and, and some that are personal and some that are just about the sport itself and why I love it. So it's to come out in, uh, I believe they've told me that the publishing date is in October. God only knows what we'll be doing in October, Andrew. Well, uh, I hope we're coming towards the end. Uh, it would probably be towards the end of August. September, right around the end of the Stanley Cup Finals, if uh, yeah. hopefully things go well. Just one last one, and I think you answered this, but uh, you mentioned all your time with the Devils and, and, and with Lou Lamarillo. 
Um, what have your been what have been your impressions from afar, from up close, as to what Lou has done with the Islanders uh franchise as compared to uh, you know, what you saw when he was with the Devils? It's no surprise that they were successful and, and you measure of course Lou always measures success by championships. And so that hasn't happened yet. But I am not at all surprised by what he did in getting Barry Trotz there and what he has done with some of his moves. And, you know, they they lost seven straight and 11 of 13 going into the pause. But I'm sure he's going to be the first, and, and Barry Trotz will probably be the first uh, to tell his team that, that, okay, that's all history now. We've gone four months or four and a half months, or maybe it'll be even longer than that. But bringing Barry Trotz in did not surprise me at all. I mean, when Lou was running, briefly ran the New Jersey Nets, mm-hmm. and the Devils and the Nets both got to the final when he was running them. Yeah. I, and and the, the Nets made it to the NBA final? Yeah, <laughs> they did. Back to back. Uh, so, so none of this... None of this is surprising. He is a he is a unique individual that has a very definite way of running his franchise and, and the analogy that you've undoubtedly heard of the orchestra. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. My nephew was an intern there once. He was interning at Warner Brothers in New York two days and with the Devils two days. And he wore the the blue shirt with the tie or the white shirt with the tie and the suit. And then when he interned at Warner Brothers, why it was, it was extremely casual. Uh, and so he was doing both of those at the same time. And there was quite a difference, but he benefited a lot the first day. Uh, he, as an intern, the first day, he uh, still remembers sitting in Lou's office and getting the analogy about the orchestra. He's never forgotten it. Kenny Danico told me the story once uh, early on in his career. You know, he he received some power play time because of injuries, and he thought he should stay on the power play forever. And Luke kind of brought <laughs> him into the office and sat him down and said, "Kenny, let me explain this. You are a drummer." <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "And if you want to be a violinist or you know sit in the lead chair." I can try and find another organization for you to sit in the lead chair. But if you're going to be yeah. with the Devils, you're a drummer. And uh, Yeah, there's yeah. a brand-new team in Columbus called the Blue Jackets. I think Doug McClain might need a violinist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and uh, Kenny said, no, sir, I'm a drummer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, there's a chapter in the book about um, – uh, you know we're we're dog people, and uh, the first time that you have a dog and you and you lose it, it's it's heartrending. But it it occurred during a time when I had to miss games, and I actually missed the O2 Olympics. But Lou was at the Devils, and it was my bosses were Madison Square Garden Network, and I missed some games, and and uh, he actually called, and he understood, he understood entirely. And uh, he even uh, he went he went beyond the second mile in understanding and in making me feel uh, he called. I mean, he, he made me feel important. And he also understood the plight that we had with uh, with our child. I mean, it was a canine child. And he's always been really good about 
reinforcing anything that was done there that I, that that I did for the team because I didn't work for the team. He was all he always made you feel appreciated, yeah. and I think that's probably the other thing too. You know, people uh, from the outside don't get to see that side of Lou a lot just because you no. know the the public persona is you know the very secretive and 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 sometimes gruff old school guy but you know if you get to know Lou the first thing he always asks about is your family and and how you are not how your job is but how right. you are as a person and, and he 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 shows tremendous loyalty to to all his players and you know the people who have been around him and, and have worked hard for him and uh, you know people people don't see that uh, in Lou enough uh, I would think. No, uh, he they uh, presented me with a car when I left and uh, the car is now eight years old, just turned 115,000 miles and every wow. time it hits a major milestone. I take a picture of the car because it's been kept up really well. He got me a very good car. It was a Lincoln. Nice. And yeah, it was a black yeah. Lincoln and it's still in very good shape. But I take a picture of the car and of the mileage meter and uh I send it to him. I did it seventy five thousand and again at a hundred thousand just to remind him that it's still appreciated and it's still serviceable and I'm flattered to say so am I. <laughs> But he, he, you know, Ron Wilson was coaching San Jose. And uh, we had that time in his office after the morning skate in San Jose. And uh-huh. one of the reporters said, gee, you're wearing slacks today instead of jeans. He said, yeah, we're playing the Devils. I didn't want Lou to see me in jeans. His <laughs> <laughs> reach is far outside his, uh, his own team in the NHL. It's, it, it's yeah. remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Doc, listen, I, it, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, and, and I wish you all the best success uh, with, with, the, uh, with the buck coming up, you and Kevin Allen. And, uh, oh, thank you. Very thank you. Def- Anyone who buys a copy of the book should know that 100% of everything that uh, would normally go to me goes to the care of uh, of uh, dogs and cats and other creatures because that's that's valuable work that we're my wife and I are committed to. So it's uh, uh, we've been able to save some cash and take care of ourselves, but the animals that's a different story. So the yeah. proceeds all go to the creatures. Well, that that is fantastic as as the husband of a uh, a very conscientious veterinarian uh i know oh very I, good I wonderful yeah people. no i it's it's a cause dear to my heart as well you know making sure you know uh, animal health and well-being and you know just making sure you know shelters and, and just making sure there's no abuse of animals whatsoever wonderful so. well it sure is good talking to you hopefully we'll see each other face to face in a rink sometime I cannot wait for that. That would be sensitive. The leaves may be turned by then, but at least we'll <laughs> see it. And then we'll laugh about the fact that we did this interview just before the official start of summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have a feeling that the next time I'm missing able to see you might be at a winter classic. But uh, I'm, hoping <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm hoping it's before that. But listen, okay. Doc, all the best and uh, all Thank the best you. success and good health. Thank you so much. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that as much as I did 
catching up with Doc. Like I said, it's it's just always good to, to chat with Doc. It's nice that, that everybody has discovered just what a, a wonderfully brilliant broadcaster Doc Emmerich is. What a what a word picture he paints. I know baseball has Vin Scully, um, and, and I certainly think hockey has Doc Emmerich. Um, you know, that's how I think of him. And uh, I, again, thank you to Doc for uh, taking that time with me. And now, Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. First off, just glancing through the, uh, through the questions, I'm bummed. I'm actually bummed here that, uh, oh, no, never mind. We're going to be able to get this in. <laughs> We're going to be able to get this in. I was going to say I didn't see an Ilya Sorokin question. <laughs> because I love that theme music, but we're going to start there. So let's, uh, let's mark, gear it up, put it on the turntable, and let's get to our Ilya Sorokin question. Whimsical Chirp 72... It just asks me, Sorokin, White Whale, Ilya, you know, testing, testing, is this thing on? You know, I, I don't think much has changed uh, since the last time we played Ilya's uh, theme music, which is basically he's switched agents in the U.S. I think we're going to have some resolution on this soon because the NHL and the NHLPA are working towards finalizing everything. And one of the issues is whether or not a player like Ilya Sorokin, who completed his KHL season, who, you know, he's unlike a college player who completes the college season and then can, you know, in the past be signed and, and, and go in. Um, the NHL's position on this was that they did not want, you know, a quote-unquote ringer, such as Ilya Sorokin, being eligible after the trade deadline um, for the rest of this NHL season. And I think there's pushback not only from uh, probably the NHLPA, but, but also, I would think, from the NHL general managers. Uh, certainly Lou Lamarillo wants Ilya in, and I think both sides, again, and this is a broken record here, both sides are just waiting to see what, you know, what's going to be decided, whether Ilya is going to be eligible for this season. And I think if it's determined that Ilya Sorokin or other players from the KHL, uh, if it's determined they can sign a contract and go right onto the roster for the conclusion of this 2019-2020 season, I think you'll you will see Ilya Sorokin signed pretty quickly. And and if it goes the other way and the NHL you know wins its battle on that and 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 players like Ilya Sorokin are not able to be signed and eligible immediately, I, I, I do think, you know, as much as it seems like Ilya Sorokin does want to come to North America, I don't know whether he would want to wait all the way until January to possibly play again. And, and you know, that may push him back towards the KHL if the KHL can get its season started in the fall rather than wait till the new year or whenever the NHL's 2020-2021 season 
will get going. So thank you for submitting an Ilya Sorokin question and for giving Mark something to do back in the shop in terms of making our podcast as musical as possible. So uh, let's see. We'll, we'll, um, we'll go here. Cordup asks, think after Belmont Park Arena opens, we'll see an outdoor game on the racetrack. And he means at Belmont Park racetrack there, which, uh, you know, you can fit 90,000 people into those, you know, old grandstand there. Not the most comfortable, but you can fit the people in. And here's the thing. In the past, this, you know, if you're talking about anywhere else, I would have said no, just because NBC, uh, you know, the Islanders seem to be like an NBC repellent. Um, you know, it just does not draw big numbers. NBC Sports, you know, does not look to get the Islanders on their, you know, their prime time games, as it were. But I, I think this makes a lot of sense. And I was staring at some pictures because, uh, you know, being if you've been out at Belmont, uh, the game, the games would would probably the, the rink would probably have to be set up. On, on that big dirt infield, or not the dirt infield, but the, uh, the, the big grassy expanse within all three uh, tracks that Belmont has. And uh, if you know that, there, you know, there's a lake out there, or a lake, a little pond out there, there are some roads out there. So I was trying in my mind's eye to figure out whether you could position a rink out there so it, it would be within a good viewing position for the grandstands. Now the rink would be pretty far away. I think it would actually be further away than, you know, you're talking, you know, in a baseball or a football stadium for sure. However, you know, thinking more about this, this makes a ton of sense on, on a bunch of different levels. I mean, first of all, you want to reward the Islanders for building this building at Belmont Park. And that's been the NHL's, you know, the way it operates. When, when a team builds something new, that city is usually rewarded with a with a draft or, uh, you know, an all-star game, something like that. I could see this working. I, I think it's a good idea. I would love to see a hockey game at Belmont Park. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. And, and if it's not an outdoor game, like I mentioned, I would suspect the Belmont Park Arena gets an all-star game pretty pretty quickly um you know so one or the other maybe both i i I think it's a terrific terrific idea i don't know if nbc will go along with it um but you know islanders rangers uh you know that's a little a little too regional maybe for nbc um but I, i i could certainly see it working um let's see rich ziles asks, the history of Lou and Trotz implies healthy veterans with playoff experience get the nod. Do you think this will hold true with Boychuk, Komarov, and Ladd? A five-game series doesn't leave much time to figure things out. Think we might see Hickey. And, and I think, yeah, um, I, I think you're right uh, about in, in your assessment of Lou and, and, and Barry there. And, you know, any one of those are possible. You know, I just kind of scribbled out my lineup, you know, coming back, everyone healthy, um, and, and I think it's going to be Lee Barzell, Everly, Bovillier, Nelson, Bailey, 
you got Peugeot and Brass, uh, Derek Brassard on the line. And this is where maybe Leo and Ladd might fit in because I think on that other wing uh, with Peugeot and Brass, you, you probably have a competition between Andrew Ladd, Leo Komarov, and Michael Dalcall uh, to see you know, who winds up on that line. Uh, or at least that's the way I would see it because with Casey Sezikis back, you got the fourth line intact. Matty Martin, Casey Sezikis, and Cal Clutterbuck. So could I see Ladd or Leo uh, out there? I could. Um, you know, I agree Barry might like the playoff experience. Um, but you know what? Barry also really likes what he sees from Dal Collin. We've debated this uh, on the podcast before as to, you know, what you get out of Michael Dal Col. But uh, I, I really see maybe the one spot uh, amongst the top 12 forwards where, where you have a battle for a spot really would be Lad Leo, Michael Dal Col. Um, now, that's just me. And, and obviously, Barry is is the coach, and, and Barry has also said, you know, this is going to be a weird training camp. Players are going to come in at different levels of, you know, readiness in terms of how much they've skated, uh, their fitness levels, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Barry, you know, basically says it stinks for the players, but he, he does not have time to wait, you know, two, two and a half week training camp into a best of five qualifying series for, for your season. Um, he doesn't have time to wait for players to, you know, find their game. So, you know, he's going to go with whoever is going the best. So in, a, in, a, in essence, that kind of throws the whole, you know, lineup, all the lines and, and all the D pairs in, into flux. But, you know, if, if my guess is certainly Lee Barzell Everly, Bovillier, Nelson Bailey, Martin Sasegas, Clutterbuck, uh, those are three solid lines there. And then you're going to pair Peugeot and Brass and, you know, just where it goes on the other wing. We'll, we'll have to see. That's just me. And then defensively, Adam Pellick being healthy, uh, you know, Pellick Pulak, Taze Mayfield, and, and I would assume it's going to be Letty Boychuk. Um, but again, you know, it, it also depends uh, how are these best of five qualifying games being spaced? If they're, you know, back-to-back or they're being played three and four, yeah, I I can see Barry dipping into his defense depth because, you know, in addition to Thomas Hickey, you got Andy Green there, and either guy uh, I know Barry would trust in a heartbeat to to throw out in an elimination game. So uh, Barry does have options, but I I think he would start with Pelik Pulak, Letty Boychuk, Taze Mayfield, and, uh, you know, I guess the goalies, you know, obviously you got Semyon Varlamov, you got uh, Thomas Grice. Uh, there's certainly going to be at least a third goalie. Uh, that much is clear, and that's, you know, again, you know, refer back to what I just said about Ilya Sorokin, but right now, without Sorokin, that, that spot is Christopher Gibson. So uh, that's that's how I see it. Um, let's see. In, in Trots We Trust says... How will the five new Belmont hires interact with the Islanders, specifically their business folks, since they technically aren't Islanders employees? And that's in trots we trust. But basically what happened was uh, Belmont Park Arenas hired the replacement for Travis Williams. 
um, you know, who left in, uh, was it October? And they sort of spread Travis Williams' duties across a couple of people in, in here. So uh, New York Arena Partners named Tom Pastore, President of Commercial Operations, and Hank Abate, and uh, forgive me guys if uh, I mispronounced anything, President of Arena Operations to lead the Belmont Park Arena. And there were also three other hires uh, for, uh, you know, uh, I think a, a financial officer and also uh, human resources. But for the most part, I, I believe Pistori and Abate are going to be leading the charge there in terms of guiding the Belmont Park uh, arena construction, which was what Travis Williams was overseeing. So basically, those two guys, I, I think, you know, divvy up Travis's responsibilities. As to the question, which I am now going back to. Do 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 do. Uh, the question was, how will the five new Belmont hires interact with the Islanders, specifically their business folks, since they technically aren't Islanders employees? And uh, you know, I I, I think uh, you know they will interact when necessary, and and probably through Lou, um, I would assume, because uh, if you look at it as two branches under ownership, Lou running hockey operations, um, and Abate and, uh, and Pistori running uh, the, the arena. Um, I, I still think, you know, it's all going to be coordinated, you know, either through Scott Malkin or Lou Lamarillo, um, anything that has to do with the arena. Um, and that's how I see it. Um, Let's see. Matt says on SiriusXM, backup sites were, were mentioned in case health safety becomes an issue at primary sites. How likely would the league do this? Well, I, I think the league has come up with a contingency plan for anything. So, yeah, I'm sure there are backup sites. Um, what would it take for, you know, to abandon a hub city for a backup site? Well, obviously it would take a, a huge outbreak. And if you have that much of an outbreak, I'm pretty sure that at that point you would probably just have to slow things down and maybe not play and get your players out uh, and quarantined and away from each other. So I, I don't know if a backup site will ever come to fruition um certainly a worst case but uh I, i'm sure the nhl is uh you know dealing with that contingency um another uh let's see arena question from johnny pajamas says will the islanders put a statue in front of belmont and if so who should get the nod my choice is the mike bossy celebration of 50 goals in 50 games and uh I, I, you know, that that's the trend of late is to uh, honor the past with statues at a, a, a team's building. I, I think the Islanders will certainly uh, continue that trend. I mean, Belmont Park, there's already, already a precedent uh, at Belmont Park, right in the middle of the, uh, the paddock there. You have a, a beautiful statue of Secretariat. Um, I would think, you know, the Islanders, certainly it would come from that cup error. Um, but, you know, how do you pick a Mike Bossy over a Brian Trottier or a Clark Gillies? Or, you know, would, would it be Bobby Nystrom scoring the, uh, the 80 Cup winner? You know, you would have to have a lot of player, <laughs> a lot of player uh, uh, statues uh, to make it fair there. Um, I, I sort of think that they might go 
with a, a Bill Torrey and an Al Arbor uh, statues or statue together to start um, to honor, you know, basically the foundation of what those uh, those gentlemen put together. So, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to get players out there eventually. I would start with uh, uh, Mr. Torrey and Mr. Arbor. Um, let's see, Jake Crandall Meyer says, what do you expect Matthew Barzell's new contract to look like considering the cap situation? You know, uh, just spitballing, uh, maybe three years, 21 million, um, which is certainly not what we were talking about. Uh, Matthew Barzell uh, in the past, you know, talking about him maybe wanting to match that, uh, you know, 10 million mark or, or, or above uh, that some other restricted free agents got um you're right in that this is an altered landscape and uh you know barzy might just be looking for the bridge deal to get him to unrestricted free agency so uh i i think three years at seven million per might satisfy both sides at this point um but you know i'm not a negotiator there <laughs> Uh, Matt says, if the NHL playoffs fall through and there is a new COVID surge this fall, how about restarting this season in March 21, where it left off? Finish season and have regular playoffs. I, I think that would be an absolute worst, worst, worst case scenario for the NHL. They're, they're, they're going to look to get fans back in the stands. Uh, you know, Gary Bettman has been pretty pretty adamant about wanting to play full 82 games uh, for next season, even if they have to start in January. And I, I think rather than waiting uh, a full year to finish off, it's just 189 regular season games and then the playoffs. Um, I, I think, you know, if this really drags out, they'll have to just cancel the rest of this season and and look to start you know in, in the 2021 season because I, you know the reason uh, you know this is not breaking news the reason Gary wants to play a full 82 game season is because he's assuming he's going to be able to get uh, some if not all of the capacity back into the arenas maybe by January and uh you know, and that's how the NHL is going to recoup some of this money or, or, or start making money again. And yes, you know, there, 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 there's, there's, you know, the playoffs bring in a certain amount. And uh, but I, I don't see waiting until March just to finish this season as an option for the NHL. Um, I mean, and Johnny Pajamas brings up this point. You know, you you do have player contracts to consider as well you know they have to extend all these deals that are due to expire on June 30th there has to be you know they had to negotiate to uh, extend these deals to I think it was till October 31st and you know that's just to get the rest of these games and this 2014 tournament done you know, they, you know, never mind what happens with the contracts if you're talking about going through to next March. I think Johnny Pajamas is correct. The NHLPA, you know, would, would have some pushback there, uh, not getting their guys to free agency. So um, let's go. I think there was one more. And, ah, yeah, Melissa, who's a regular contributor, and thank you, and thank you to all the regular contributors here. Um, 
says, who has been your favorite guest on the podcast so far? And and I would say that's one of those, you know, set you up to fail questions because, you know, no matter what I say, I feel like I'm going to be insulting someone who took the time to, uh, to be a guest with me. But, you know, let me... So let me give you a blanket statement that, you know, I appreciate everyone who's come on and uh, I've enjoyed all the chats. I, re- I really have players elsewhere. Um, I, I'm going to eliminate, you know, Colin Stevenson and Neil Best and Jim Bombach, my Newsday uh, uh, colleagues. I don't consider them guests. I, I you know, they're, they're, they're family. They're, you know, they're kind of co-hosts whenever they, they're on the show. So, uh as far as a favorite guest, you know, thinking about the question, I guess, you know, I, I go back, and it was one of the early episodes, maybe one of the first three or four I recorded. I remember sitting in the stands, I think it was in Columbus, uh, I forget, maybe Detroit, I forget which city, but me and Shannon Hogan uh, chatted for about 30 minutes, and I thought Shannon just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, and, and, and as a journalist, I was proud of that interview because I, I think we, we covered a wide range of topics and, and, and important topics to women in journalism, you know, and, and, and I thought it was a, a really good back and forth. And, and, and Shannon is just, you know, so comfortable in front of the mic and, and, and talking. I, I thought that interview really, really went well. Uh, never mind the fact that Shannon's a fantastic person and, you know, one of these people that, you know, I, I've talked about, you, you see him every day and you travel with him and all of a sudden now it's, you know, three months and I haven't seen any pictures you know, from Shannon uh, on, on, on how her daughter is growing and the latest thing her daughter is doing. So, uh, you know, Shannon certainly was, was fantastic. You know, every time Butch Goring's on, <laughs> he's, he, he's funny as heck. Um, I, 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 you know, you guys can tell me, but I really enjoyed that conversation I had with Doc Emmerich and, and you know what, Brendan Burke last week, um, you know, another, you know, really smart guy who can just talk about anything in hockey. So, you know, I, I think, you know, back to back, I've really enjoyed those interviews and, and then, and, and this is more credit to Mark back in the shop, but the, uh, the, the, the podcast episode we, Mark put together, um, just with all the interviews from the Islanders alumni from the 80 team talking about that, that playoff or, or the, the cup parade. Um, and, and I had a lot of fun putting that episode together and I had a lot of fun talking to the guys about that. So I, I guess that is what would stand out to me. And again, it's one of those questions that I know I'm going to hear it from someone like I, I can hear Greg Picker right now. Greg's going, what about me? You know, the two of us sat in the, uh, in the Marriott, uh, you know, courtyard, uh, not the courtyard, not the brand, but actually outside in a courtyard. Um, it just, we had so much fun coming up with, a, you know, an NHL format. You know, what we think, you know, how, how should the NHL realign? You know, and Greg worked really hard on that. And, uh, you know, Greg's another guy. Uh, you see him every day. You, you talk hockey and everything else, and now, you know, now we're we're all you know 
we're all backed into our corners here. So, uh, you know, I, I've been really blessed uh, in, in getting this podcast off the ground that so many people have been cooperative with me. And, you know, certainly the players, uh, chatting with the players, uh, they're, they, they've been very good with their time. And, you know, I, I've just been blessed, I, I think, to, to do a, a ton of fun interviews and, and to be able to bring them to you. But that is, that is it for episode 36 I appreciate you uh, coming along for the ride as I sit out here on my deck enjoying this beautiful day. Um, Hope all of you uh, stay healthy, stay well. If you haven't already, you know, please subscribe. Please, uh, you know, rate. Please leave a comment uh, for Island Ice. Uh, All 36 episodes are available on the Newsday website. Uh, Also available anywhere you can get a podcast, Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, you know, wherever you find your podcast, we are there. Be well. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. I'm on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And be well, everyone. Thank you so much for listening.